Hello, folks. This is Barack Lurie, the Barack Lurie Podcast. Welcome. And uh, we have, as usual, a lot to talk about. So many things have been happening. With me, of course, is my friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. Um, you know, Ari produced a uh, very interesting article, uh, an old article from the days of the past in the 90s when we had a man named Bill Clinton as president. And it turns out um, that in revealing some documents, um, we had some revelations about what they actually, how they actually viewed the world. And as it turns out, they viewed the threat of the, uh, uh, the, the Internet as a threat. Um, a threat by whom? That's right, you guessed it, right-wing extremists. And um, I'll, just, I'll just kind of describe what they say. Uh, they say that uh, the Internet, uh, this is from a, you know, in, in his defense, uh, there's a, um, internal memos, but uh, they refer to the concern about right-wing publications being produced in a prolific manner, quote, unquote. And they refer to the Internet uh, as becoming one of the major and most dynamic modes of communication. The Internet can link people, groups, and organizations together instantly. Now, remember, this is back in the 90s, so because they're just kind of discovering what the Internet was going to be all about. Moreover, it allows an extraordinary amount of unregulated data and information to be located in one area and available to all. Okay, get that? We'll, we'll buzz back to that phrase, unregulated, in a moment. The right wing has seized upon the Internet as a means of communicating its ideas to people. Moreover, evidence exists that Republican staffers surf the Internet, interacting with extremists in order to exchange ideas and information. Okay, that's, uh, that's the end of the uh, quote. Now, what's interesting about this is how it reveals, it reveals so much, right? I mean, it's says the right wing has seized upon the internet as a means of communicating its ideas to people. Well, gosh forbid that we, that we actually allow them to communicate their ideas. You know, this, this is a threat to them, you understand. These are the people that supposedly are liberal and want the free exchange of ideas. But of course they don't. They only want their own ideas. And they would like to quash as much as they can. This is true in the public schools. It's true in um, government regulations of all different kinds. It's true in the way... They want us to speak about Obamacare. Uh, and, of course, it's true in the media and climate change versus and all that. But the last thing they want, the very last thing they want, is actual open, free exchange of ideas. Because uh, once they have that, then they start losing. Now, that's, that's their problem, not ours. Um, we are the ones who want the free exchange of ideas. But ironically, they're the ones who constantly complain of us as wanting to limit information. You see this in the movie, like uh, the TV show Cosmos, uh, which is apparently the ratings are just tanking uh, on that show. But that's a bit of a, another story. But he argues in a show, I forget the narrator, what's his name, Neil something? Neil deGrasse Tyson or something? Yeah, DeGrasse. Yeah, unnecessarily long name, but I digress. He has three <laughs> names, like an intellectual or an axe murderer. That's right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good point. Anyway, we'll call him Neil. So Neil argues that, um, you know, that throughout there are little spotty points of references where he says that uh, uh, people who believe in God uh, believe only in uh, the universe being 6,000 years old. And then having created that ridiculous straw man argument, he, he proceeds to knock it down <laughs> by, by arguing, well, 
if it were only 6,000 years old, we wouldn't be able to see all the light that goes beyond 6,000 light years, you understand. Ah, and you can just, you can just hear all the intellectual liberals from the elite colleges nodding their head, <laughs> those dumb people who believe in God. Because we all, of course, believe that the universe is only 6,000 years old by definition. Anyway, that's the straw man argument that we have. But they, they want to, even when you try to tell them, sir, that's not what we believe. In fact, we believe quite the contrary. In fact, the, we believe the Kabbalah actually argued a long time ago that the earth was 15 billion years old. They got it right that, uh, hundreds of years before uh, anyone got it right in the past 50 years. You know what they're good at? Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, I just thought of something. Mm-hmm. Liberals are so good at telling us exactly what we believe and why it's wrong. Oh, so true. I, I literally had that conversation with uh, a liberal friend of mine, and I, I told him about uh, uh, belief. In, I believe in God, and I also don't believe in pure evolution. Uh, and he said, well, so what, are you a creationist then? And I said, no. Uh, I believe that the universe was intelligently designed, and that's far cry from, um, from creationism, as you think of it, that somehow the, the universe is only 6,000 years. And he said, I don't believe that's what you believe. And I said, David, uh, with respect, please don't tell me what I believe. I mean, you can, you can say what I believe is ridiculous, but don't tell me what I believe. I know what I believe. I believe that the universe was created about 15 billion years ago, right. as science has, has revealed, and as the Kabbalah has actually predicted. Uh, but, but don't tell me that I believe is something that I don't believe, okay? And, and if it makes you feel better to, to think that, by all means, do that. But for the record, you're 100% wrong on what I believe. And I'll tell you what, I know a hell of a lot more about what you believe, because I actually ask you, and I actually was once where you are now, and I grew up in the whole matter. I grew up, okay? And I learned, and I studied, and I opened my mind to science, you, by contrast, aren't, have failed to open up your mind to science and to the sheer numbers and to the statistics. No matter how you look at it, biology, physics, statistics, uh, a notion of the cosmos, and logic, all those things, it, you, you must come to the conclusion that there's a God. You must. But anyway, we, I don't want to digress too much because I want to talk about how uh, the left often talks about limiting information. That's really their quest. And here it is. You can see it in, in Clinton's uh, internal, the, the White House's internal memoranda, viewing this Internet as a threat to them. So it's one of two things. Either they view it truly as a right-wing conspiracy, in the same way that Hillary Clinton considered you know, that there was a right-wing conspiracy to destroy them uh, as a couple, or uh, that they were basically saying, look, there is a... Um, the, the, the right, the conservatives are going to be using this for actually uh, sharing information. And we got to stop that, you know, a, a threat on the horizon, so to speak. Yeah, it's so interesting because, of course, if you would say to them the obvious, well, this proves that they are admitting that there's a left-wing bias in mass media, they would, of course, deny that and say, well, of course there's no left-wing bias. Well, if there's no left-wing bias in media, then why is it normal legacy media being used as a communication tool for those with conservative yes. ideas that contradict yeah. Democrat Party ideas? Here we have uh, a very frustrating set, uh, set of facts, right? You have the, the set of facts where 
one party is claiming openness and, and a free, free flow of information, and the other party actually engaging in the free flow of information and certainly not afraid of it. Who are these people that the left talks about uh, who are these right-wing nuts and, and uh, you know, standing by in the desert, you know, brandishing their guns? and Tim McVeigh. Well, hold on. And, and having one one tooth out of the you know and and you know whittling away with the, with a little bit of wheatgrass in their mouth and, uh, and and of course who can only think in terms of the universe being six thousand years old. Where are these people that that are supposedly all around us and make up uh, fifty or so percent of the population that they claim represents the the entire fifty percent uh, that they're vanguarding against? Right? Where are these these people? In the movie Deliverance. That's, yeah, apparently. Right? That, that's, that's the way they look at it. Um, there are so many movies that portray the right exactly so, uh, exactly just that way. Uh, and, of course, the, the left is always super intellectual. They've always come from a very good college, and they're always very reasonable, right? A good example of that, uh, and it was not a good movie, and, and a movie, uh, shoot, I wish I remembered the name of it, but I don't want to give it any more credence. Anyway, was it some sort of time travel movie where there's a train and you could – you could, you could step out of it for a second, and it was an alternative universe, and they were able to get into this alternative universe to find out who the bomber on this train was. There was a moment in time where you could do that. So they send this guy back in time, or some sort of vortex, if you will, to find the bomber, and you see all these people who are stereotypically suspect. You know, you know a guy with the turban on his head, and you know, a guy who's all rough and everything else and, you know, a hippie kind of looking guy. But who is the, the, the guy? Well, it turns out it's a right wing nut uh, who is dressed very nicely with a tie. And he's, he's, the bomb is inside a um, crate of sorts, which is painted with an American flag around it, you know, just to show what a nut he is, right? So this is, this is the, the way that they portray everything. Now, I'm not saying anything new here, right? I'm saying, basically, that um, the, the left likes to characterize the, the right in the most buffoonish terms, right? It's, it's all a big cartoon for them. Uh, to say two-dimensional would be giving them too much credit. It's, it's one-dimensional at best that they, they refer to us. Um, it's... it's uh, so, so there's only two verbs, that, two, ad, two adjectives that they'll use about us, and that's greedy and racist. And that's it. They're done. They can go home. They've wrapped us all up. They never stop to ask questions. Okay, so here's where I'm going with this. What is the future of this clash of ideologies? What is it going to be when, at some point, as we are now seeing with Obama uh, recharacterizing, rebranding the right as much as you can to show us as greedy and intolerant and racist and all those things. At some point, you know, if you do believe in the theory that you can't fool all the people all the time, right? At some point, there's going to be a backlash. And we talked about previously in this podcast about the millennials already engaging in a backlash against Obama. Hopefully it'll stick. When I say a backlash, I mean that they, they don't they don't believe in him as the Messiah anymore. That's what it I'm means talking. in active terms for an election that they're going to stay home, most likely. Right. right. Which is, for us, is fine. Yeah, they're, they're disillusioned, and hopefully they'll be converted at some point because, you know, for them, if, if you believe that government is binary, in other words, whether it's big government versus small government, 
then, then at some point you'll move to the small government side. So now that they, let, let's imagine the scenario where they keep on saying uh, that this is what the right things send, and they develop these cartoonish things. And then every time they develop it, um, they just end up being wrong. Kind of like, I don't know, um, a stockbroker who consistently gets his stock picks or spots, uh, stock advice to you wrong, right? At some point, you're going to say, listen, Jim, um, we've been great friends, uh, and you've really been a, such a nice guy. I really liked the party the other, the other day. But, you know, every time you've given me a stock, it seems to flounder or at best just kind of stay where it is. And, uh, and now you're coming to me yet again with a promise that it's going to reach 20% return. Uh, you know, forgive me if I have my doubts. At some point, that's what's going to happen with this version of the Democratic Party. See, what happened, what the best thing that happened to the Democrats was Bill Clinton. It was already kind of floundering as it was, but Bill Clinton really changed things for them. He played ball with the Republicans. He made the, Democrat, the Democratic Party seem like a sensible entity. And, and in the 90s, it was, because basically it adopted Republican strategies welfare reform and everything else that it did. So many of the things that it did. I'm not saying it was perfect, but it did enough adopting of conservative platforms that it actually succeeded. And then they get to say, well, I don't know what happened, but gosh golly, um, Bill Clinton presided over, there's that phrase again, um, a great economy. And so the Democrats must know what they're doing. And that thinking echoes beyond you know, during the whole of the Bush years, and then Obama comes on the scene, and they still think that he can do the same thing that Clinton did. But the reality is Obama is an old-style Democrat. He's an FDR Democrat. He's, uh, he's the one uh, that, he's the progressive Democrat, not the Bill Clinton Democrat. And as a consequence, um, we're seeing the real Democrats. It's, it's old-style Democrat, uh, Democrat but it, uh, thinking. But it isn't for the subject we're talking about today, which is that perception of the media within the Clinton White House, really central to this issue in that because the Democrats have a, a supine media that is willing to give them or label them, basically make them look that like they're the people who are right and have all the answers no matter what they do, the real big issue here. Because as it turns out, Clinton was not a, a, a new-style Democrat. Yes, when he campaigned, he portrayed himself as some sort of conservative. But when he governed, he was as far left as, as Obama. The people he appointed to positions of power were the same, if not worse. Right. Eric Holder is a, and Susan Rice, to name a couple, are holdovers from Dem. You, you have years. a point. You have but, a point. But, but the point is... Because they have a media willing to help them through any of the problems with their policies, it gives them a massive advantage, getting people like you and I and all the other voters a, a biased perception of them. Yeah, no, your point is a well-taken point. And um, for, to, you, to underscore your point, you know, he appointed Ruth Bader Ginsburg and so many other very hotly liberal people, and he was shot down on a couple of things. Had he had his way, he would have had health care uh, similar to what Obamacare is now, probably probably even worse. probably worse. Yeah, yeah. So your your point is well taken, but he but he had to play ball, and that's the that's the difference, because Obama will not play ball. Well, he will he, he will not play ball, and as a consequence, 
we're seeing the, the consequences of that. But this is where I want to take this, because believe it or not, it's actually not about Bill Clinton and what he said back in the early 90s about the Internet and the threat about the Internet. What's interesting to me is how Bill Clinton, and this is really where I want where I take this, Bill Clinton and, and his fellow Democrats had no understanding of what the Internet would, would actually become in the future. Um, that they that it could be used as a tool of the left just as much, or that you know that their their concerns about the right um, were truly unfounded, and he had no idea. He simply thought it was a propaganda tool. And and I want to ask the question now, very similar to what we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago now, but what to expect in the future when it comes to so many of these different things? Where is the internet going to be? Um, and then we talked about Bitcoin before the show. Um, is Bitcoin going to play a much bigger picture, big, bigger role in society than, than it is today? You know, hint, hint, yes, I think so. Um, and many other things that we did, haven't yet talked about. And where are the threats along the horizon? Uh, what are things that we should not be worried about? And, um, and, and this is why I, I launch from that standpoint. It reflects... What Bill Clinton wrote, or what his White House wrote about the Internet, reflects complete misunderstanding of what the future would be. Right? I mean, How isn't that could they not understand it? Al Gore vetted it for them. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's a joke. Yes, that's a joke. Um, but they, they had no understanding. And, and they refused to see the future. And because the future can always change in their eyes. Global warming is such a good example of this. In 2002, in the early 2000s, they made all these predictions about global warming. None of them panned out. But if you were to say in 2002, sir, what, what is this global warming thing all about? They would say, well, here are the things that I expected to, to do. And then you would say, well, okay, let's wait and see what happens. And, you know, more than 10 years has passed. They, they gave us a 10-year horizon on, on many different factors. Not all of them, but many of the different factors they said would happen. Literally, literally nothing happened. I, I can even t trace it back further. I heard the term global warming myself, I believe, in 1987 or 88 on one of their shows on PBS, like Nova or Frontline or whatever. And the predictions were that the oceans would flood inland areas or, or coastal areas, not inland, coastal areas, by the year 2000. Hmm. So in the 12 years from 88 to 2000, they were expecting disaster. That doesn't happen. And rather than having an accounting, a time where you ask for the score and say, hey, who won here? Right. Who was right? They then double down. Right. Uh, it's, it's exactly what you said about the stockbroker, but it's even worse. Stockbroker gives you a stock. It goes down 60 points. Then he tells you, that did great. Let's buy more. Right. Well, you actually have a point with stocks because you're supposed to buy them low. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You can you can average out your losses and yeah. or minimize. But he's, but he's like saying buy a stock that went down fifty points for the original price. Right. That's it's it's very true, and uh, they they will like to have uh, these predictions. They, they, it reflects how unable they are to think about the future, that whether it's global warming or climate change. They're constantly scrambling because they don't think like you and I do. No, they're spending too much time trying to tell us what we believe. <laughs> That's true. In a way, right. Because they, a person only has so many brain cycles to spend on stuff, right? Yes, you're right. <laughs> they're spending so much time telling us what we believe. They're not doing a lot of thinking. Well, they don't think, and that's the reason why they cannot make predictions. Um, but they don't think in terms of predictions. They think only about the here and now. Just like you know, you and I have very young children. 
they think about here and now, right? They don't think to themselves, your, your, your daughters are, are four, two, and four. two and four. Okay. And uh, I can guarantee you one thing. They're not really thinking about college now and what they're doing now will lead to going to a good high school and then in turn will go to college and, you know, a, a nice man to the mayor and where they might live. No, they're thinking about, can, I want that Barbie. I want him. I want her now. And I also want such and such food. And, and it'll completely change hour to hour, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and the younger you are, the more it is like that. You and I, when we think of our business and such, we think as follows. Uh, speaking for my business, and I think speaking for your business as well. Uh, where are we in our business? How can we grow? What are the trends in this market? Um, what are the threats to my industry? Right? And how can I jump over those threats create a new niche for myself and for my business, right? This is what you and I think about. Yeah, and where should we be today, six months from now, right. one year, five year, yeah. 10 year, 100 year? Right. Uh, and we also think in terms of uh, yeah, reducing our overhead, maximizing our profits, where can we price ourselves competitively, for example. These are very long-term questions, right? And in order to answer them properly, you have to know what's out there. You can't guess what's out there. You just have to know what's out there, right? And that requires work. Ha ha, ta da, work. Okay. You just use a four letter word. Uh, it, it is indeed a four letter word <laughs> to work. liberals. And this is what it takes. And, and it's always been my, my position that liberals are, and I, I don't mean to insult anyone specifically here listening to the show. I think by listening to the show, they're actually engaged and they're, they're interested in knowing what's what. Um, so let's say the far left, the far left. Okay, the, the, the true believers, as it were, they are intellectually lazy, just lazy as, the, as all get out. And I can prove this till the cows come home. Al Gore is lazy. He didn't do any work when it came to um, the, the, the global warming scare. What did he do? He relied on computer models. You know how, how easy that is to, to work with human. You can do everything at home at the company in pajamas. Um, and then, then he asks these scientists, all of whom, of course, are very much, you know, favorable to his ideology. And we know that because he said there are exactly zero people disagree with him. And because it's now been revealed that he paid them. Yes. Oh, so and it's clearly paid them. Here's your money. What are the results that I want? Thank you. Here they are. That's right. One of those. Yeah. So it, that's intellectually lazy. And even putting aside whether or not that was malevolent, wasn't whether he intended, you know, he had a, something up his sleeve. Even if he intended and he really thought this was real, it, it's just not intellectually honest. It's not intellectually thorough. That's what I should say. If you really want to do a blind study, then you've got to do the hard work. You've got to pound the streets and you've got to just randomly ask scientists, not just scientists, but climatologists throughout the world and then give their opinion. That's it. And you don't know anything about their politics. You certainly haven't paid them. You don't, you don't offer them any promises of payment or good tidings of any kind. No, that's, that's the way you do it. And it's very rigorous. It's very hard to do. And you have to meet certain T levels of confidence, as we say in statistics. And that didn't happen. And I'm not talking about just global warming. I'm talking about almost anything. Evolution is a very good example. Oh, well, I have a great example for that. Please, go ahead. Uh, Mayor Bloomberg. Yeah. Uh, how much is Bloomberg worth? A couple billion dollars from the Bloomberg financial systems and broadcasting industries. This is a very successful man who clearly did a lot of hard work in his life. So we cannot say that this man is a lazy man in, in a vacuum. 
But this is a man spending a huge amount of his money, many millions of dollars, to fund causes that are geared to uh, regulate guns. Now, it would, it's definitely a, an act of laziness to put a huge amount of money into something if you don't care about the results or if the results are contradictory to what you want. If you, in the, the rationale for him is to fund these anti-gun uh, services so that violence in society is reduced. Yeah. But if all the data shows that the more you regulate guns, violence goes up, that means he is literally funding violence to go up. And what man would do that unless he's been intellectually lazy or duped or one way or another? There, there's two ways of you looking know? at it, and only, and only two ways of looking at it, right? This is logical. Either you're trying to advance an agenda, which is certainly possible, and the facts uh, go cut against you. Well, then you don't care about them. You, you suppress those facts, and you elevate facts that are on the, on the periphery. Or you're intellectually lazy. It's one of the two. And the gun thing is such a good example. That is a, a, literally almost any issue that we can bring up net right now reflects intellectual laziness. And, um, and I think, frankly, I'm going to put this on my show on Sunday about intellectual laziness. Maybe not this Sunday, but the next Sunday. Um, Were you too lazy to do it this Sunday? Don't yeah, want to do the like, work? No, the problem is I've, I've already given them my topic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I better follow through. <laughs> uh, you, know, you know, unlike Al Gore, I, I actually have to... Um, I have to follow be a, through with what you promised? That's right. I have to follow through and, and, and be accountable to what I've said. How middle class of you. I know. That's so uh, racist and greedy of me. <laughs> so, but you can, you can do this intellectual laziness thing and can show it time and time again. You know, my, one of my favorite topics is pure evolution. And if you really, if you really study it, folks, and, and please don't be intellectually lazy. Don't be one of these people saying that says to yourself, look, this is every scientist says that it's all about survival of the fittest. And, you know, you know, yada, 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 Mr. Lurie, that's what you are. You're just yapping up your mouth. No, seriously, think about it. I want you to think about how that looks like, right? How long does it take for a mutation to occur? And, and putting aside whether mutations can even reproduce in the first place, right? That's, that's a big issue, folks. And then how do you explain irreducible complexity? How do you, how do you, you, know, you know, put all together these, the probabilities that we talked about before so many times on the show? You really need to think about this. Even, even a four-year-old child should be able to say, what are the chances that a life just happens by itself, Right? And, you know, they don't even know what the word chances means necessarily at four years old. But let's say at eight years old, they do know. What are the chances it'll just happen by itself? And then you start, is it one or two? No. One or ten? No. I mean, you, you start to have to really have a rigorous debate on this. And there is a, a number. There is a number. We've never be, been able to do it in the laboratory to create life by itself. Never. But somehow it all happened by itself on, on a godforsaken planet called Earth. Um, and and then, then it started reproducing itself. Anyway, you, you get the idea. You have to be intellectually curious about this stuff. And then it leads to other conclusions. And then at some point you say, you know what? I, I have to come to the conclusion that it was not random. That's all. That's all I ask. Now, does that mean that there must be the God of, uh, you know, the, 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 the Bible and the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Book of Mormon, whatever you want to call Does that mean? No, of course not. But it does mean that it ain't random. 
Okay, start from there. Just start from there. And then see where that leads you. I think it leads inescapably to, to a God. And I choose to believe that it's the God of the Bible. Okay, and, and I have my other reasons for that as well. But that, believe me, took a lot of intellectual curiosity, uh, a, a lot of intellectual rigor. I guarantee you, <laughs> I may be lazy in some things, but I wasn't lazy in this. This is, by the way, the man speaking here went to Stanford undergrounded in UCLA for your law degree and business degrees, right? That's, that's correct. So you being a very well-educated man at the, the highest levels of the education industry, it would have been lazy for you to just say, I'm an atheist, I don't want to hear any more questions about it, I'm not going to get into arguments with anyone at cocktail parties in Hollywood, I'm just going to have fun and have friends. Right. It takes work in West L.A., among the people we live around, and among the kind of people you've rubbed shoulders with through your entire professional and education careers, to hold the view you have and be able to justify it with the, although words are frail little failing tools, it's really all we have, to use these tools called words to articulate that position does not take laziness. It took you a lot of damn work to get from it A does. to B on that one. It does. Uh, I, I, I expect people to think things through. Look, my... In, in, you know, before this podcast and after, I'm sure, my associates will come in and they will um, say, this is what I think we should do in this case and in that case. And I'll, I'll ask them. I'll say, have you thought that through? What happens when X happens? And then they'll say, oh, yeah, that's a good point. Maybe we should argue a different way. That's right. Um, and, we, and sometimes we intellectually debate each other at, you know, just to strategize the case. But I expect no less, no less when it comes to making arguments about the future, predictions about the warming of the planet and everything else. And also, for that matter, what, what we saw from the past. That's why you and I love history so much. We learn from history. And one thing we know, people don't change. And another thing we know, we basically know three things about history. People don't change. Whatever you think is going to happen, there will be surprises you cannot foresee. And here's the real one. This is the one that gives us the real light to what we know about the future. Mm -hmm. Whatever the liberals have been predicting... Bet on the opposite. That's right. Because they have never been right, and they never will be right, because they are incapable of being right. That's a good point. They never have been right. And, and these, are, these are just, you know... You're, so you're when they tell you Obamacare will work, <laughs> right. bet on the opposite. Right. Yes, it's true. You can study the odds, just like you could say, uh, you know, baseball, um, a player. You know, this, this man has batted a 1,000. And I know nobody has ever batted a 1,000. But if, if somebody batted a 1,000... You can literally say, okay, this man who's coming up, who's about a thousand in his past, he's going to hit the ball <laughs> this time uh, with at least a single. He's going to be, this is what's going to happen. Yeah, good chance. You can say, that this we, will we say with extreme confidence. Now, if, it's, if he's batting a 900, you can say not, if there's a 90% chance yeah. he's going to bat a thousand. And it's all based upon his history, isn't it? Well, let's modify that a little bit. Because baseball, it's hard to actually get the hit, right? So if he's batting a thousand, you can actually start hedging and going, he's going to make an out one of these times. But if he's betting zero and has batted zero his whole career, first of all, he'd be out of the major leagues. But let's just say he was kept in. He's batted zero for 10 years. It's a good bet he's going to keep hitting zero. Right. And that's what liberals have done. Right. And, th and this is my and, – and I'm going to roll on with this because um, I want to talk about it, kind of the major point here. But what you just said is the kind of similar to what I said uh, a while ago when you have two interviewees, right, one, one from the, uh, the conservative side, one from the liberal side, 
And um, if you were to treat them as employees, just, you know, considering hiring them, right? Because when we vote for somebody, a president or otherwise, we are essentially hiring them, right? So one person uh, you, you turn to and you say, uh, okay, Mr. Conservative, uh, tell me a little bit about why I should hire you. And Mr. Conservative, you know, he's all buttoned up and, and he says, look, um, I did this, I did that. I, I you know, wherever I pursued gun, uh, fought gun control, uh, crime went down. Uh, wherever I lowered taxes, uh, you know, the economy improved. Uh, you know, I can show you that. And he goes over and over again. And, and very few mistakes along the way. And so, oh, thank you, Mr. Conservative. Now, you, Mr. Liberal, why should I hire you over Mr. Conservative? And he says, you know, I've never done anything right. And I've never gotten anything right at all. Every single one of my policies, well, I, I, I'd like to think that they worked, but they didn't work. But you should hire me now. Because he, the guy sitting over in the other chair, he hates women. <laughs> that's something like that. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so obviously it's a, it's a ridiculous scenario, but but in in effect that's what the liberals are asking us every time they ask us to vote for them because they 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 ask us to literally ignore history, um, and they also ask us to ignore common sense. Now, I want to move forward on this point because we are talking about being intellectually thorough, right? Imagine yourself, for the, for the sake of this coming discussion, that you're on a beach and you see far off in the waves, and it's, it's strong waves coming toward the beach, right, crashing on the beach. You see what appears to be something like an empty Coke bottle, okay, or some litter for that matter. It doesn't matter. And you see it slowly coming toward the shore. And there's a certain current, and if you look at it hard enough, and for long enough, you'll be able to reasonably, you know, predict where that litter is going to land on the beach, right? Um, it, it, first of all, how soon it will land, where it land, and if it will land on the beach. All those three things. And it just takes a, you know, maybe processing it, maybe studying, you know, taking a pad of paper and kind of figuring out what the current is like and everything else and the, the number of waves and it might be a long time, but, but the more time you spend, the more accurate you will be as to exactly where it's going to land on the beach and when. Good for you, right? That is the way it is with time and trends when it comes to social or political, anything else, intellectual debates, uh, or even infrastructure. You can predict many things, just like you can predict a, a bridge might collapse based upon so much weight going over it, and somebody, you know, so much time eroding over, you know, use of the bridge, eventually eroding its use, it'll, it'll start crumbling with, by the, the month of July 2015 if we continue at this current rate of traffic. Okay? That's it. It's very easy to predict these things. Let's do the same thing when it comes to our future, because just like the man on the beach just like analyzing a bridge, we can make, as long as we are intellectually thorough, we can make some incredible predictions. Okay. Are you with me so far? I'm with you so right. far. So here's where I've uh, noticed some very interesting patterns. We talked before about pornography. And I think, I think we made a very clear and good prediction of what the future will hold. Because we're seeing the pattern, the trend, if you will, of uh, the waves and the currents of um, a culture that 
doesn't care much about uh, shame anymore. And to our liberal friends, we weren't judging. We were just predicting. That's exactly right. We're just predicting. It is what it is. Some are good and some are bad. Okay. Uh, and, and some are infrastructure-related. Some are social-related. We talked before about what's going to happen with this whole family situation. One of the things we talked about was how, with gay marriage uh, on the forefront now, putting aside whether or not you think gay marriage is a good thing or a bad thing, just put it aside. If you ask yourself what are the consequences of it, does it open up the doors of marriage? The answer should be very clearly yes. It does open. But we're seeing trends of economics and currents of economics moving forward that compel, compel that there will be polygamy in the future. Right? And we're seeing it kind of already in Sharia law, and we'll get to that soon too. Soon, eventually, people will talk about incest. They'll say, look, it was done in the old days. Uh, what's the big deal? Especially if you don't want to have kids, why can't I marry my sister? Why it was can't? done on Game of Thrones. They seem happy. They seem happy. <laughs> That's right. But why? Why shouldn't we have incest? Why wouldn't they allow marriage between brother and sister, or for that matter, father and daughter? Yeah, it saves paper. It saves trees. We don't have that's to right. change our names when no we get married. That's exactly right. And and they 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 love each other for one thing, and they darn well know each other. They've been together for all their lives, or most of their lives. So um, why not? Hold on, that is so disgusting. I don't it even know what to say. <laughs> you know, it, I agree with but you. But true, I agree. It's, with it's disgusting. But people forget the reason why we have these laws in the first place. That's the point. It's, it, you, you, it's kind of like uh, that old Star Trek episode where they stumble upon uh, this uh, tribe called the Youngs, and uh, they seem to have this fastidious attention to uh, fighting the Empire. And then it's discovered that they've got this ancient document that's clearly the Declaration of Independence, but they, they're misreading it and they're mispronouncing it, and Kirk, of course, pulls it out and Describes what they're doing. The Yangs are the Yanks, right? Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like the, the messenger who's forgotten his message. Yeah. You know what it's like? Uh, my wife and I, one of our older child is four. So we're learning table manners. And, you know, my wife and I are like, uh, well, you have to chew with your mouth closed. And she says, why? So at a later conversation, because kids ask why for everything. So it makes you re-question your, your why you do things. Now, the answer is very obvious. Why do you chew with your mouth closed at the table? So you don't gross out other people who are trying to eat. <laughs> that, that, right? That's, that's, that's the reason. That's the reason. But with, like, the, the incest thing, people are asking, not only just asking the question, but saying, well, let's forget past knowledge. And unfortunately, they're going to be reminded that the reason you do that is so you don't do disgusting things. Right. But, let, but let's move to that because and that's the great relearning that we've been talking about before. Uh, and I want to give credit to Tom Wolfe for, for coining that phrase, the great relearning. But the reason why we have uh, a taboo uh, against incest, and you call it disgusting, and it is, but it wasn't disgusting a long time ago. It was fully expected. This is the way things were done. This is, uh, you could only trust each other in tribal families, and that's the way it worked. Um, and it, it wasn't because of the biological imperative that, that somehow it's bad for uh, the children. Yes, it does increase the risk of uh, deformities, but not much. Not yeah, much. Very little. Very little. Over many generations, yeah, sure. But, but not much the first time, or even the second time. So... The reason why is because 
it was considered so destructive to the family. And the family was the only thing that will advance civilization. Who brought that idea? The Bible. Okay? That's who did. And think about a, a family where incest is okay, or sex um, within the family is okay, other than husband and wife, of course. Then what do you what do? You, do? you encourage a, a family of paranoia. paranoia. Um, the, the mother doesn't, doesn't know whether the father's going to start sleeping with the daughter. And immediately, so the, daughter, the mother is now jealous of the daughter, right? And the sisters are jealous of the other sisters, and they're, or if not fearful. And the brother now commands these things, saying, I will marry you, but not the other sister. And, and, and they create That's uh, fascinating. I didn't even think about that's that. That's the reason why. It's, and it's, and and it's now, the, now that I've said it, yeah. doesn't it seem it's obvious? It's so obvious, and it's the same thing that happens of why harems don't work. Because you have the inter-jealousy relationships of the multiple wives, like sisters who are sleeping with a brother, and then you have the same problem a generation later with all these children who share one parent who all are at each other's throats trying to fight for the inheritance or birthright. You got it. That's, that's exactly what it is, and it seems so obvious. Now that we've said it, it's like an epiphany. That, yeah, and that then the other side... That, I can see the epiphany kind of yeah. making, making the other side of it is why they justified it is the whole false concept, a great liberal concept of basically related to uh, eugenics, is royal blood. Your brothers would marry sisters because we're the royal family and there are no other royals and we can't have you mating with a commoner. Right. So it's better you do that with her than one of them, That's the great right. unwashed. That's right, the great unwashed. So even though that whole labeling real quick between royal and commoner is right. false, it's a total lie. But let's not run afoul of uh, or a field from too far afield from where we're talking about, which is about the predictions for the future, right? Yes. Things that we can reasonably predict. And we talked about gay marriage, and we talked about how it's going to open up the door for, for polygamy, incest, uh, and for that matter, marrying animals, right? Um, the, the, the question arises, why not? Why not? And, um, and, and the liberal, especially with the incest question, other than to simply say it's disgusting, well, you simply ask them why. Well, I mean, the famous question they asked Dennis Prager in, the, in Congress is, how does it affect your marriage, Right? Well, why, why would incest of somebody else? You don't have to marry your own sister. Fine, Mr. Prager. Um, but why does it bother you so much that uh, Joe and Jane, uh, who are brother and sister down the street, why do you care? How, how is that going to affect your marriage? Right? So, and, and they don't plan to have any kids anyway. So who, who the hell are you to tell them what they can do behind their closed doors, sir? Right? And for that matter, polygamy. You know, who are you to say, these three people love each other? Are you going to tell them to not love each other, sir? Who are you to tell them that they can't get married? You are very narrow-minded, sir. So that's what the future holds. And when economics drive that, and they always do, things change, right? And we talked before about how three people making a $100,000 a year income, which will mean nothing, by the way, in five years' time, but good for today. Um, suddenly, it's not a $200,000 income for the family. Yeah, it's suddenly, a $300,000. Suddenly, they can afford a private school for the kids that they couldn't afford before. That nicer refrigerator, that nicer apartment. A whole bunch of things open up for them. Yeah, a whole bunch of tchotchkes. Tchotchkes. And they can even argue to themselves, hey, now they have uh, three parents taking what, care. What is? Wait, hold on. They have three parents taking care of the ch the child, 
uh, and two of them can go out on a vacation, and the other one can stay behind and take care. Of it. The whole yeah. it takes a village to raise a child. Yes, thing. yes. Why not? What was Prager's response to those questions? Well, unfortunately for him, he you know it's one of or those. What, situ- how would you answer? Well, that's what that's the way I would answer. I would say to them, um, "Sir, you might as well, I'll answer that question with a question: it's how, how how does incest affect my marriage? How does polygamy affect my marriage? Right? How does marrying a, a person's dog affect my marriage?" Oh, I thought of a really good response. How does someone's murder affect my life? But that's illegal. Right. That's right. There's many How things. does a drunk driving incident where the drunk driver arrives home safe, how does that affect my life? Yeah. It, it, it's such a, it's a classic intellectual Strong laziness. Right? We, we talk about intellectual laziness on this podcast. Um, they don't think it through. They ask the question and they, got, they have the gotcha moment. And then as soon as you respond to it, they say, wow, that question, I guess, was kind of stupid now that I think about it. And it was a stupid question. So... We're talking about things to expect in the future. I can guarantee you within 10 years, maybe soon. I, I, here's where I've been wrong in, in terms of my prediction. In only one sense, I've been wrong. They tend to happen faster than I predict. So, for example, the vegan movement right now, good or bad, it doesn't matter. I'm not even talking about that. I I'm happen to be a pesca vegan, if you will. But I predicted that the world will be as it is today in terms of its many vegan restaurants and everyone knows what a vegan is and there's a whole awareness for it and people are raising their kids vegan and all that stuff. I, I predicted what we have today to be happening 15 years from now. So I was wrong in the sense that it, it happened a lot sooner. But I'm going to still give an outside date for the polygamy. debate. It's going to be 10 years from now. I, I, I unfortunately think it's going to happen even sooner. Um, the marrying the dogs thing, the marrying pets, that's going to happen. very. Yeah, it's see, already happening. See, I, think, I think the opposite on some of these things because the interesting thing about same-sex marriage issues is it's essentially been decreed by judges to, be, to have a legal standing. It's never won or only won a couple times when it's on the ballot. Hell, it even lost in California multiple times. And so Obama's running around today saying how we're done with the debate on Obamacare. It's settled law. We should just stop fighting, right? Right. The same-sex marriage issue was settled in California like five times. Right. Twice, I think, on ballot initiatives, including the Prop 8. Settled by a direct dem- dem- democracy vote by the people as a ballot initiative. Right. Settled not by the legislature, not by the government, but by the people. Right. Yet, they never stopped fighting the people. Right. Degree, right? So, I think because... Similarly, how even though America is becoming more libertarian on a lot of issues, marijuana, maybe the, uh, uh, some other things here and there, America is becoming less libertarian on abortion as they learn more about it. I think the same is going to be true about the, the marriage definition and the threats to the family. So I see backlash coming on those Listen, issues. Listen, I, I, I think it'll take a lot longer. We'll have to go f- much further down this road to figure out that the reason why this is all happening is because – of um, a, a breakdown in the family. And I'll prove my point. Um, we now know, I mean, you and I know, intellectually honest people know, that the tragedy of the black family um, is a direct consequence of fatherlessness, right? And that has been encouraged by this government, not just Obama, of course, but the Democratic, uh, Democrats. Yeah, Democratic going Democratic. back to LBJ. Welfare and even, and and even and, to FDR. Right, and affirmative action, all those policies that basically say that you don't need a father and we'll take care, care of you and the government will be your husband. Um, 
And so as a consequence, we have a lot of boys out there who don't have fathers. And we, we know that one of the clearest indicators of whether or not you will commit a crime is whether you have a father or not. You are highly, much more highly. Let's, let's, let's take it in reverse. Um, those who commit crimes, almost all of them don't, didn't have fathers. Violent crimes I'm talking about. Okay? That's, that's a big deal. So I'm kind of, uh, I think I'm refuting your point a little bit uh, as much as I don't like to disagree with you, but the point is... How dare you? Yeah, okay. no, but, but I think you're too hopeful of society to figure out the cause and effect because we can't even figure that out. And we, you and I know it, but society at large doesn't want to speak about, about well, it. Well, I think that's, so, again, part parcel of what we started with, with the Clinton's admission of left-wing media bias as internet grows more robust. Like, for instance... Um, but but let's, let's, let, let's move okay. on, okay? Because I, 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 there's so much more to cover. And I want to talk about the things to expect in the future. And again, going off of your point about intellectual laziness, and I love that. Phrase. Well, if you, really quickly, but if you've been wrong about your predictions only because they haven't been happening fast enough, maybe you should bet on me this time. <laughs> no, they, 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 they happen too quickly. Okay, but well, I'm saying the backlash could be happening quicker than you think. That's true. Um, that's, that's very true. Okay, now but, but, but Yeah, <laughs> there, there's, but the, the breakdown of the family will be such that... Um, it's so complicated. There's so many moving parts to the breakdown of the family that you can't say directly. For example, if we were to suddenly shoot the tax rate up from, I don't know, 30% to 95%, and then you just see the devastation of the economy, then you could say, oops, that was not, not such a great idea. With the breakdown of the family, it's a much more gradual thing, and they, it's too easy for them to say, though, the reason why are, are based, is based upon racism and other things, and so it's because it's convenient to say that it's something else, right? Now, here are some other trends to look for. And some of them are kind of obvious, I think, uh, but some may not be so obvious. Think about the impact of Obamacare. Just think about that. Now, they talk about how great it's going to be. It truly ref reflects static thinking. We've talked about this before and on my Sunday show. What do I mean by static thinking? Like they, they imagine a whole world where nothing changes. There are just the same number of doctors. There are just the same number of innovations and everything else. But we know from the devastation of, uh, of the website already and, and, and the promises that weren't kept in, in terms of keeping your doctor or your policy and all the cancellations that were involved, we know that it's utterly failing. And it will, But, you know, that won't stop very... Nice liberals arguing um, that the eight, millions, uh, 8 million people that have signed up prove that Obamacare is working. Okay. No, it only proves that 8 million people signed up. It does, and it proves nothing else. Nothing. But I'm not going to talk about Obamacare in that sense. I'm talking about what is the inevitability of this. Here And here they are. We know that doctors, even the Obamacare bill itself, is going to be capping fees for services. That means they're going to be that the doctors will be making less, right? We know there are a lot more regulations associated with Obamacare. That means that doctors will be spending a lot more time filling out forms, whether electronically or otherwise. That means there will be fewer doctors. Nine out of ten doctors are now recommending to their doctor friends or people, students who want to be doctors, don't go into medicine. Just don't do it. And if you have to do it, become a dentist or an orthodontist, 
or engage in electric, uh, elective surgery. I was going to say plastic surgery. Yeah, but even that will be uh, regulated. You'll see. Yeah. Okay, because that's the inevitability, and they, they can't have that. Did you get that article I sent you about uh, uh, medical homelessness that's happening now? Meaning people who have Obamacare insurance cannot find a doctor to not only take their insurance, but who won't even take their money in cash transactions. Oh, I see. No, I didn't see it. I didn't know that. But I'm not surprised about that because... But that's exactly what we're talking it about. Takes, yeah, but it takes two to tango because a, a, a doctor has to also want to take the insurance in order for it to work, right? And if, you were, if you're a doctor today, uh, if I were a doctor... Uh, I, I would say stuck in that profession, so to speak. At this point, I would simply say, you know what? I'm not going to take any insurance. I'm going to do fee-for-services on my own. And whoever can afford it, they can afford it. And I'll, be, I'll join together with a bunch of other doctors. We'll be a group of five doctors, let's say. And uh, we'll do general practice. And we don't want to fill up all this crazy um, paperwork. And come to us uh, when you have an issue. And you know what I would do, actually, if I was a doctor, and I think you'd find this brilliant, I'd create what I call a medical country club. I'd get together with five other doctors. I'd form literally a private men's club, kind of country club kind of entity. And people could join this club for a lot of money and pay a monthly fee as if they were joining a, uh, a place to play golf. Maybe yeah. we have a gym or something That's or right. a bar or a library where they hang out. Yeah. And way in the back, we'd illicitly practice medicine. Right. And we wouldn't tell anyone we were. Right, kind of like a star chamber, if you will. Basically, yes, <laughs> yeah, a star right. chamber. But we'd make the same money we'd be making now, dollar for dollar, if not more, well, but, that's but a... without it being legitimate or regulated by anyone. But it's assuming that, that doing that would be illegal, and it's not necessarily illegal. Not yet. But look, I, I, want, to, I want to tell you, what I, it's so obvious to, to you and me what the inevitability is with Obamacare. It's going to shortchange doctors, which means there are going to be far fewer doctors which means that the doctors that do come, they won't even be called doctors, of course, but they're going to be coming from outside the United States. They were making piddly, uh, or doodly squat, I think is the official legal term, uh, of let's say, uh, you know, $10,000 a year. And now they're being offered 60000 a year, which is a hell of a lot more, literally six times more what they were making. But it's very low for a doctor, right? When you think about a doctor making money, um, you know, you're thinking in the several hundreds of thousands. Um, a really good doctor can make millions. And a decent doctor can make $200,000, $300,000 a year. But uh, would you be willing to go to medical school with the promise of making only $60,000 a year? Of course not. So uh, it's a bad bet. And uh, the competition for the, all the elective surgery positions is going to be so fierce. That's going to drive down the prices of electric surgery. And for that matter, it's going to end up being very poor quality because so few people are going to want to do it for a low price, right? This is, this is the way things happen. You know, water finds its own level, as they say, right? Or it's a whack-a-mole game. I can give you many analogies here. But, you know, many people, when they go to college or when they start thinking about careers, they choose between the two professions, right? Law or medicine. All of a sudden... Oh, this is going to screw you with all the people who are going to become lawyers. Thank, thank you. you, Obama. You see where I'm thank going Thank you. This. So we already have a glut of lawyers as it is. But now you've cut off the, the entire spigot, as it were, of, of all the people going to the avenue of medicine. And they say to themselves, well, the law industry is not regulated, at least not as regulated as Obamacare regulates medicine. I'm going to go into law. 
Okay. <laughs> then there's going to be a flood of lawyers now. This, this, is, this is obvious, right? So that's the future. A flood of lawyers. We already have too many lawyers as it is. And now we have a lot of people who are going to be lawyers just because they didn't have medicine to proceed with. And literally, I made that choice too. I knew that medicine was going to be regulated when I was 17. It's a long time. I had foresight in this department. And I just said, All right, I'll be a lawyer. And here I am. Now, I'm happy being a lawyer. I, I find it very strategic and very intellectually stimulating. But I can tell you, if there's going to be a flood of these lawyers out there, it's going to be a miserable profession. And there's going to be a flood of, of uh, immigrant doctors. I'm not saying they're bad in and of themselves, but we're going to have a big problem. What are we going to do? Here's another thing that's going to happen with Obamacare. There'll be a, please, and, and I know this is so obvious as I speak it, but apparently it's not obvious enough for our friends in the Obama administration. There will be almost no innovation. Innovation will come to a grinding halt. Now, yes, there will be some people who will make efforts um, to, to, to create patents and such, but not so much. Um, pharmaceutical companies will, will kind of step in there from time to time, but what's the point? of making inventions if you're, uh, if, if you're not some, somebody who can profit off of it, especially with the medical device tax, which you would think they would leave that alone if they wanted innovation, but that'll come to a grinding halt. Prices, of course, will skyrocket. There's no such thing as any government program that has caused prices to go down, never. So these are actually very easy predictions, very easy. I, mean, I, I don't have to time the waves to use, to go back to my previous analogy. I don't have to, you know, study the currents. This is what's going to happen. So I bring this up as an example of very shallow thinking, intellectually lazy thinking on the part of the left. And we're going to see this more and more. But I, and I can make more, many more predictions about it. It's just so many different things. We talked about the law. We talked about uh, medicine, of course, and uh, we talked about the destruction of the family. I'm going to leave this with one, a couple of more examples. One is Sharia law. That's going to open up. You're going to start seeing more and more cause for that to be open because, well, frankly, people are just not defending Christianity as much as they used to, and they're, they're very afraid of insulting uh, Muslims. And the ones who are defending the Muslims the most are the secularists, oddly enough. It's a very weird thing, but there you have it. So as a consequence, you're going to start seeing this or that town saying, okay, tolerating Sharia law. They'll have these different legal standards, and then eventually it'll get more and more. Like Dearborn, Michigan did a couple of years ago. Do you remember that incident where uh, yes. the, a couple of Christians are passing around uh, Christian literature at a Muslim festival, and the police tell them you don't have the right to do it? They're like, what about the First Amendment? Well, no, we don't want you to offend these Muslims here. Right. Well, that's de facto Sharia, yeah, Sharia law. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so then that goes to the next point where you talk about Christians. Um, it'll get to the point where to be a believer in God, whether you're a Christian or Jewish or anything else, you will be, um, not only looked down upon, but it will be a litmus test for employment in certain areas of life. If you want to be a scientist, they'll ask you a question. Do you believe in God? Or a teacher. Or a teacher. Exactly. I was going to say that next. Uh, and in many different other programs, they're going to say, because we don't want you, if you believe in God, that to me means that you are going to espouse this, or if you're a science, 
there's no room for, for God here because science is scientific and uh, teaching is for, you know, we don't want God in the classrooms. And if, even if you believe in it and think that you're not talking about it, you'll, you'll somehow pollute the kids with your God talk. Yeah, we're enlightened. We don't believe in that. And we don't want your right. kind here. It, it goes, That's to, exactly what it it goes to a movement that happened starting in the 1950s and early 60s in which conservatism itself was attacked by the uh, psychoanalytical movement as a disorder. You see some of that now with these studies that say uh, the liberal brain is this, the conservative brain is that, sort of almost related to phrenology. That's right. And uh, the whole idea is that conservatism or belief in God or belief in religion is a psychological disorder that we can't tolerate because it's dangerous. Right. Yeah, it's backwards. As if, by the way, related to Islam, as if Islam isn't that. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, they, they, they view us like uh, the child that we talked about before that kind of keeps the class back, you understand. Yeah. And, and that ain't cool. Well, I see that our time is up, but for sure, uh, you know, we need to understand what it means to be intellectually lazy and ask the question, are we being intellectually lazy when we, A, believe in God, understand evolution, when we, you know, poke through the issues of the day, including minimum wage, affirmative action, um, you know, gay marriage, all those things. Are we, are we rigorous about this? And I put it to you, my friends, that the only people that are rigorous in this debate are those on the right. The left thinks very highly of themselves. They think that they're engaging in the debate. But all they're doing is saying, I think that's the right thing to do. It just seems right to me. And that, my friends, is not intellectually North This is Barack Lurie. And this has been the Barack Lurie Podcast. Thanks so much for listening today. Talk to you next week.